0: Welcome to episode 138 of the fertility podcast if you've just recently subscribed and have been like what's going on with this subscription I've been sharing quite a lot of audio from Fertility Fest, which was a big event in the UK. And there's going to be more coming on my feed, but the normal episodes are resuming, just to explain. If this is your first listen to the podcast, I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. I started this podcast four years ago after having successful ICSI treatment and have been on a bit of a mission, really, to speak to... All different experts around the world, fertility experts, who can give you things to think about, hopefully answer your questions, offer advice and support. And as well as the expert interviews I do, I speak to people sharing their stories in an effort to make you feel less alone, really, because I know from the emails and the messages on social media that you send me that we are still keeping this to ourselves a lot of the time. I know more of us are reaching out to the online communities, which are amazing. But if you're not, and maybe this podcast is one of the few places that you're returning to then I hope you're finding that it is helping you along your journey. Now there's a few things that I would love if you can help me with. This podcast is available in iTunes now known as Apple Podcasts and if you're listening there please do subscribe and rate and review the podcast because it just helps other people find it and it's really great to hear what you think about what I'm doing. Also i I have a new project called the Ultimate Fertility Guide where I am speaking to people on Facebook Live and giving you the chance to ask them questions. So it's experts within the fertility industry. So if you are keen to ask questions back in real time, then do go and like the Ultimate Fertility Guide at Facebook page. Now, this episode's coming to you kind of the second week of June 2018. And this week we've got two streams happening. One is on Wednesday, the 13th at half past seven. This is you. UK time and we're talking to IVF Travel about how they can help you have treatment abroad if that's something you're considering. And on Thursday the 14th at the same time at 7 30, we're going to be speaking with Pamela Hirsch from the BabyQuest Foundation about the grants they provide for you if you are in America to help fund your fertility treatments. So if you get yourself to the Ultimate Fertility Guide Facebook page, you can like it there and that's where you see the streams and you can ask questions. Or you can just email them to me, natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com and I'll ask them for you. And if you want to be anonymous, just let me know. It's absolutely fine. Now, I'm always curious to show a different perspective on your fertility journey. And my next guest is somewhat challenging the status quo to give you a taster when we talked about unexplained infertility being a diagnosis she basically said that she thinks that's a cop-out when a consultant hasn't been bothered to truly investigate you she has these fascinating challenges and she works with you looking at all elements of your makeup from the inside out so from your lifestyle to your relationship to environmental factors I mean who knew that wi-fi could impact your fertility it's a really fascinating interview i know you'll find her brilliantly interesting so without further ado let me introduce my next guest So, I'm going to welcome Gabriella Rosa, who is the founder of Natural Fertility Breakthrough, which is the world's first fully virtual fertility practice, Um, working with people all over the world to overcome infertility and recurrent miscarriage, to talk about the work she's doing and to share her own infertility journey as well. So, Gabriella, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Wonderful to be here.
0: Well, we've had a slight technical issue. We've had a few gremlins just trying to uh, prevent the end of your day and the start of my day, because we're literally the other side of the globe. But that's that's the beauty of technology isn't it Uh,
1: that's it sometimes it works and i'm looking at most of the time it works so we're lucky there
0: yeah exactly I'm, i'm really interested in talking about the science focused work that you're doing and how you're helping people on their infertility journeys but let's start with your own because i know that you've personally overcome infertility twice so i'm curious as to whether that was whilst you were doing this work and you've used the work or whether. That journey led you to this work, so you just tell me a bit more about you.
1: Yeah, no, sure, very happy to. So, look, I think that uh, in terms of how I started the work, it certainly wasn't because of my fertility journey. And I think that you know, I, I literally I left school and I was thinking, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I wanted to get it right the first time. You know, good for um, you. I, I didn't. as best as I could but you know what it's one of those things I I I think that I made it work more than you know it was my calling so to speak now it's absolutely become my calling I've been doing it almost 20 years now so you know you've kind of you either grow into it or it grows into you one of the two right and um and so I really was was kind of Puzzled as to what I was going to do, leaving school, I, I thought, well, maybe I'll do interior design, maybe I'll become, you know, a brain surgeon or you know something else. And in the end, I moved countries because my parents. Were, I'm originally from Brazil, and uh, my parents still live in Brazil now, but they immigrated here. And they lived here for a few years, decided to go back. And then when I turned 18, I was like, okay, I need, to, I can't live in Brazil anymore. You know, like I, I actually loved Australia. I wanted to live here. And so I, I came over on my own, which was a very big, yeah, bold move. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at the time, you know, they're kind of like naive, so naive. You know, you can do anything, which is kind of great because it obviously got me to where I am. Um, and you know, for me, it was just really, I was here, I had finished school. I was like, what am I, what am I going to do? So I decided to start, I, I had an interest in nutrition and one day I was kind of at the bus stop finishing up, you know, my, in, in Australia, we have like this end of school year type of exam. It's called the HSC. And it's this big kind of, you know, you you get to figure out what marks you've got and what university you can get into type of thing. And uh, so I was, you know, kind of finishing school, finishing on my exams, was going home, had a new age magazine in front of me. And I saw this tiny little ad for a nutrition course. I thought, maybe nutrition, maybe that's what I'll start with. And um, I called up and wanted to go in and have a conversation and find out more about this particular college. And I did that, started enrolled, started uh, one kind of term into it. I realized that food is as wonderful as it is. And certainly it is medicine in many, many ways. It wasn't going to really fix things that were wrong with people, so to speak, you know. Uh And so I started to kind of Inquire about what else is there and how else could I benefit? And there was this thing called naturopathy, you know, like that I I, I didn't even know what it was to be honest. But I asked my, my my school, my my college friends, and said like, what is this naturopathy thing, you know? And they uh, and said, oh, you know, you learn about homeopathy and herbal medicines and nutritional supplementation, and you know, obviously you also have to do your nutritional degree, but you know, it, there's there's more to it. And I thought, okay. That's what I'm gonna do. So I start. I, I transferred my enrollment onto the naturopath- naturopathic degree and trained and graduated and qualified as a naturopathic doctor. And then I went on to do a Bachelor of Health Science from there. A few years later, I decided to do a Master's in Reproductive Medicine and Human Genetics. And now I'm doing a clinical research program at Harvard So, with with an aim of, of doing my PhD next. So as far as kind of like where it's led me is here. But in the beginning, you know, it really was a situation where I was I was I wanted to help people. I knew that I wanted to make the world a better place. I knew that I wanted to, you know, make a difference and it was a, it was a kind of an interest, you know, it wasn't like a crazy passion, mm. but it was trans interest, interest. And at the time that I was studying, I was very, very lucky to be working alongside. I, I worked as a receptionist in a gynecology and obstetrics practice. And the principal doctor there um who was my boss he was he was an obstetrician gynaecologist and he was wonderful you know he was very helpful and always uh wonderfully um supportive and and in providing his guidance and you know insights onto things and one day I came into the practice as I was finishing my naturopathic degree and I said to him "Well, I'm thinking of specializing in pediatrics and he goes don't do that (laughs) I was like Okay, that was very conclusive and definitive, um, and uh, and I said, okay, why do you say that? He said, no, nah, pediatrics. You know, the patient's not your patient. The patient is your parents. The pa- the parents of your patient. They can't talk. They can't tell you what's wrong. Bad idea. Don't do that. I was like, okay. You've got many good points yeah. and need, uh, You know, and uh, and so that's what happened. So. Then one day I was, again, as I was finishing up my, my course, you have to do these umpting numbers of uh, clinic hours to be able to graduate. And I was going up to clinic and I saw this tiny little ad for, you know, these kind of little ads just pop up, you know, the signs that we sometimes need. And it was a little ad for a naturopathic clinic that needed student clinic hours done. You know, like we could, we had a, an option of working at a place that was external to the, to the clinic to be able to sit into consults. And so that's how it all started. I I saw that sign and I just went, that's it. I'm going to specialize in fertility. So literally from day one, that's exactly what I did. And it's been, you know, now 19 Well, what is it? Two, in 2000, I graduated. So that's, it's been a long time.
0: Because I know that you run different fertility programs and I'm curious to know a little bit about them, especially because you work with people with, things like recurrent miscarriage which obviously people are coming to you having had to deal with that and they might have had it as a result of treatments or just naturally and so there's obviously this program that you've got and success as a result of it which I'm really interested to know more about
1: yeah look I mean we, we I run two main programs and you know having as we 've mentioned before, and actually i didn 't even tell you about how it all happened with my fertility, but i 'm sure we can get into that at, at another time but um, what um, one of the things that I realized early on was that there is such an important need you know out there for education i 'm very big on education. Mm. And Inspiration. I think that you can't have one without the other, really. If you just have inspiration without education, you kind of lose cannon. You know, you go in all sorts of directions and you don't actually get your outcome. And if you don't have the education or if you have the education but you don't have the inspiration to do something with it, then you really don't move very far either. So I've created, you know, every one of my programs is kind of centralised into this intersection between education and inspiration because I really truly believe that you need to have both in order to get the ultimate results for patients that obviously they're coming for. We treat people typically who have tried everything and nothing has worked. You know, our patients have, I've had stories of people who have tried for 20 years, uh, multiple failed IVF cycles and, you know, done our program and conceived and had and took home healthy babies. And like I had one woman last year who had a baby who had done over 23 failed IVF cycles. And these were all fully stimulated cycles. There weren't, Transfers. So she really went through so much, you know, and she, again, they came into my program within nine months of that, you know, process, um, she conceived naturally with her own eggs and that was pretty amazing. So, you know, I've had women who basically – Uh, one pregnancy announcement that i got yesterday one of my patients who had been told by three different clinics and three different doctors that she would never conceive without donor egg um, she came to us for her first child had that baby beautiful little baby boy and then um she just messaged us because she started working with our team again you know most of our patients revisit and she started working with our team again and she messaged saying that she's pregnant again you know after not And she had been trying for many, many years prior to that. So, you know, like we, the thing about how we get our results is really that we are super systematic and methodical about what we do. You know, we have a, a very, very solid framework that I've developed, obviously, over the last 20 years. There are two main programs that I run. One is the Fertility Challenge, which is a free online fertility program in fact all of our programs we are a virtual practice as you said we treat patients all over the world and you know literally have patients in every continent except antarctica although i'm still working on that one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so you know it's um it's it's very it's wonderful i mean over the last four years alone uh we've taken 53 the the statistic that we have right now is fifty three thousand three hundred and forty two people in over 100 countries who have done the free fertility challenge and that's pretty wonderful you know we've had many many babies uh definitely in the hundreds that i know of and i'm sure possibly thousands because not everybody comes back and tell us hey sure. you know I've done your challenge and it's worked. So
0: we're talking about diet, exercise and other lifestyle changes predominantly, are we?
1: We're talking that on the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, right? Because what happens is that you need in order, the solid foundation for health obviously is going to be uh, those pillars, you know, and and I've got the 11 pillars of fertility, which cover, you know, those self-care aspects, but then... When it comes to fertility, you know if you go to a to a typical fertility practice, they will really only cover the male reproductive health and female reproductive health to a cent to to a certain extent. okay yeah. They will and and most men, I mean you, you can ask pretty much anyone listening to this podcast who perhaps is experiencing a fertility challenge, they will tell you that they've been investigated semi. Uh, investigated Mm -hmm. and their partner has been asked to do a semen analysis in some cases haven't even been hasn't even been asked to do a semen analysis you know so I see all sorts of things and so the reality of uh, the ability to change a fertility situation is that we have to work very very systematically and methodically but what a lot of people don't realize is this at peak fertility a couple has an average of three months time to pregnancy okay and you add a minor factor to that equation and a minor factor can be anything you know you've been diagnosed with pcos or you have endometriosis or you have sperm parameter issues or you have diabetes or insulin resistance or you name it right Whatever it is that you want to kind of pick as far as how your health is not working as effectively as possible, that becomes a minor factor, so to speak. And you add one of those to the equation and the compounding effect from an average time to pregnancy of three months, it goes, it jumps up to two years, right? With just one minor factor. You then add a second minor factor to that equation. And again, you can pick any of the things that I've already said or one of your own. And we go from two years to seven years Gosh. Time, average time to pregnancy. And a third minor factor, and this is all, you know, basically statistical analysis that was done on these numbers. It's not something that I'm making up. This was actually, this come from, um, you know, at the, the field of IVF. But um, but essentially a third minor factor gives us an average of 40 years time, time to pregnancy. No one has 40 years to get pregnant, right? And, and what we see and the way that really... We are able to tr- completely transform these people's situations because we actually start to look for and really dig deep onto all of the possible minor factors that there could be yeah. in a particular situation and what is actually getting in the way. You know, we're looking for answers, we're looking to make sure that we're leaving nothing to chance that we're leaving no stone unturned that is the point of difference I guess that you know we we bring to the table and so it's not always going to be like the self-care aspect is absolutely going to be vital it's going to be very important but we have to address the biochemistry we have to address how the physical the emotional and the biochemical are actually into you know kind of almost intersecting to create that triangle of health so to speak you know and, and obviously the triangle of fertility and that's that really is um, the most important work that needs to be done, and, and of course, you know we then have to take and acknowledge the fact that biology hasn 't changed very much you know in the last millions of years. Yeah. It still takes the same eight months that it has always taken for an egg to mature and, you know, it takes approximately half that for a sperm to form. But sometimes when there is a fertility problem, you know, we're dealing with uh, sperm cycles of maybe two, three cycles before you actually see a proper improvement in sperm parameters from actually implementing all of the different kinds of interventions that we look for and that we need to put in place. But, you know, that's one of the things that women really need to take, I guess, pay attention to is that when you're told that you know, oh, your eggs are no good. Well, is is it really true? You know, and this is, again, with this lady that I was saying that contacted us yesterday to let us know that she was pregnant, that's exactly what she was told, you know, that she had lower AMH and she had, you know, uh, obviously deemed to have egg quality that was too poor to be able to conceive with her own eggs, but she's actually proven that wrong twice now. And, you know, it's about asking better questions, I feel.
0: So you're saying that with some of the program, the work that you do in your program, you could potentially look to improve egg health. Absolutely. I mean, we've see, we
1: see it happen over and over and over. I mean, obviously, ovarian reserve is finite, mm. right? And so women are born with all the eggs they will ever have. However, what we see and we have proven over and over and over and over again you know, through the years, is that you can absolutely change a fertility outcome and improve egg quality and improve sperm quality and, you know, make a huge difference in a couple's ability to conceive and take a pregnancy, a healthy pregnancy to term.
0: It's so refreshing to hear that said so blatantly because I know that people listening to this podcast are at all different stages. They've either just started, they are approaching another cycle, they've been diagnosed with unexplained, they may they finally have got a diagnosis of PCOS and what seems to happen from my experience of the people that I speak to is that too often people are fast tracked into fertility treatment and then have to endure a failed cycle because this type of investigation and understanding of those pillars isn't done and it and it's so necessary and it seems so obvious that it should I always talk about being match fit, but if you don't know you don't know what you don't know, so you might not know that this is the problem, which is why what you're offering makes complete sense to have at the start of any of this kind of treatment
1: look um you've hit a nerve naturally mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you have you have seriously hit a nerve
1: and that's why actually i'm doing the clinical research program at harvard right now because for me it, uh, it is just unacceptable mm-hmm. the diagnosis of unexplained infertility is the biggest cop-out you know that really just means that whoever is treating you or assessing you, I should say, hasn't really taken the time to be bothered to figure out what's actually getting in the way and to do enough investigation to figure that out like you know it's really for me it's just not something that i accept and this is what i say all the time you know unexplained infertility is not a diagnosis okay and i completely agree with you that most people get herded down the ivf path and mind you i have nothing against ivf i think ivf is fantastic i think that it is the most miraculous technology for the couples who need it and there are couples who will never conceive without it so from that perspective, and we refer you know when we when we see when we find something or we see something that we know, okay, we need IVF. We Absolutely, refer our patients, we support them through it. And often what we see, you know, like we get lots of people coming to us who have done several IVF cycles before and have been unsuccessful. They come to us, they do our program, they go into their first cycle pregnant, you know. So we we treat lots of patients across that continuum and that's perfectly fine. I feel that in this day and age, you know, in the 21st century, the truth is that if you truly want to have a baby... You will have one, right? It's when people start to put in draw lines in the sand of saying, oh no, I will only want to have a baby if I can have it naturally. I will only have a baby, or I only want to, you know, pursue up until I would consider IVF, but I wouldn't consider anything else. Uh, and or people then go, no, I, yeah, I would consider donor egg, and I'd consider donor embryo, I'd consider donor sperm, I'd consider surrogacy. You know, in all of those different types of situations, obviously you open up your window of opportunity. And it's perfectly fine for somebody to say, I will only want to have a baby if it's, you know, naturally without IVF and anything else. And that's great. Because then at least you have made a decision. But you know that there are other options. However, my biggest, biggest bugbear is absolutely this whole idea that you know a couple hasn't been trying to conceive for five minutes, they go to their GP, have a conversation, say, look, we're trying to have a baby. Literally, the next thing that happens is that they get a referral to go to an IVF clinic to speak to an IVF specialist. They get to the IVF clinic and they see the doctor, and the doctor basically runs a couple of very basic preliminary tests, which are tests that need to be done um, for ensuring that they don't have any STIs, for making sure that they don't have any major kind of health issues, literally as a prep, the bare minimum that needs to be run for them to be able to be fit to or deemed fit to go and have IVF. Right. Without looking at any aspect of their health, of their lifestyle, of, you know, do they smoke? Do they do drugs? Do they, you know, are they morbidly obese? One time I was sitting in uh, IVF um, information evening and this was a room. It was in a hotel, you know, kind of big prominent thing. Over 200 people in attendance of this seminar participating and in, in listening in. And I just went in to kind of just, you know, like I want to understand what it is that patients are being told. So they do this whole presentation about IVF, what it is, how it works, you know, all of these things. And uh, the, at, at the end, they open it up for questions. This lady gets up. She was very, very obese. I'm talking extremely obese. And she stands up and she asks the question to the doctor who was presenting if we decide to go and do IVF do we have to stop drinking and smoking and her husband next to her was equally as large right I I, I held my breath for a moment because I was like oh please just you know don't say yes and literally the next thing that comes out of this man's mouth is oh don't worry we can bypass all of that with IVF oh my god in a room full of 200 people. Like, to this day, it gives me, like, literally...
0: That's outrageous.
1: Oh, I can't even tell you. So, you know, and, and that kind of is the thing that I think needs to change. You know, that's that's ultimately, I think, that there is so much more that patients can be doing, need to be doing, and should, quite frankly, be doing if they want to overcome fertility challenge and, and recurrent miscarriage mm. because, you know, even for recurrent miscarriage it's a it's a big thing you know most countries around the world they will not investigate before three miscarriages Mm. and so what ends up happening is that people go and they have a miscarriage and they have another one and then they're kind of like completely traumatized and they don't you know know what else to do and they keep having miscarriages one after another because nobody has properly and seriously investigated to understand what is actually causing this and you know from what we look at there are seven different category reasons for miscarriage there are many factors that come into the into the whole equation and that need to be addressed need to be looked into so you know it's it's one of those things that you know when when you ask me what is it that we do we are really we go very deep into the investigative side of things. And of course we're supporting people with the with the lifestyle and the self care aspect, but then we're also, you know, putting in the pieces that we know they need based on our own assessments.
0: Because whilst you're talking about assessments, you've got this fertility score test that you can do on your website that I'd I'd worked part way through before we'd spoken I got about fifty percent through. But you you cover a broad range of like emotional and well-being questions the outcome of this is is then literally a score that then suggests a conversation to be had next is that what you get when you reach the end
1: basically when people do the fertility scorecard what they get is an understanding of where they're at in terms of how else they can be optimizing their fertility from a self-care perspective okay so the fertility scorecard is solely based on self-care it doesn't take into consideration the other aspects of what we do from the biochemical perspective and obviously what we do from our expertise. But it does give them what we've seen in our practice is that the majority of the patients who go excuse me who go through the natural fertility breakthrough program, which is our signature program for couples who are struggling with conception and of course miscarriage, um, is that the majority of the patients there will score around 70 in the positive uh, when they're taking home babies. Most people who I talk to prior to that end up scoring Sometimes in the minus, you know, I've had many couples scoring like the minus 25, you know, and, uh, but they're typically scoring around about the, the 30 to 40 mark, right? And what we always want to do when we see that is bridge that gap. You know, we want to get them to at least scoring around 70. And, you know, the purpose of that test is actually to be truthful because you want to tell yourself the truth about what's actually happening mm. and things
0: that you're doing and how is it that
1: you can start to optimise what you are doing. If you're
0: looking for a supplement to take whilst trying to conceive, Pregnacare Conception and Wellman Conception provide advanced nutritional support. They include zinc, vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid recommended for women by the UK Department of Health. Pregnacare is expert nutritional care while trying for a baby. And to find out more, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash shop. There's a lot of conversation happening about the emotional care provided to, especially patients who are in the kind of process of of a clinic. Maybe they've started treatment or they've had failed treatment and they're deciding what happens next. Maybe they've moved away from the clinic support and are just feeling like left. And I talk a lot with people about their emotional well-being. And in some of the questions in your scorecard, um, you've you're talking about the relationships and you're you're asking about whether you're feeling satisfied and connected to these relationships. And I think so often, we completely overlook that emotional aspect of how this infertility struggle affects our relationships, don't we?
1: 100%. And this is why, you know, like, if at the core of what we do, there are really three main Kind of, you know, it's it's that triangle that I talked about before. It's the physical, it's the emotional, and the biochemical. You know, at the core of what we do, we're looking and addressing those three parts because we know that if we focus and address the 20% that will give us 80% of the result, that's exactly what's going to help us. You know, get closer to our outcome because you can't address. You know, if you think about it, when I talk to some, to a couple, you know, to a couple who's coming to me, typically they're scoring over 20 to up to about 80 different minor factors. There's a different test that we get them to do that gives us an understanding of where their minor factors lie. And you know, between 20 to 80 minor factors is normal for me to see. You know, and so what happens is that. You can imagine that if you're trying to address all of those manufacturers in a linear fashion, you're not going to get anywhere very far, right? Or, or even very fast. Um, and so we really need to focus on, okay, what's going to give us that 20% of the effort that will give us, you know, the 80% of the result that we're looking for and repeat that as many times as necessary till we get to where we need to go. Uh, the body has an amazing ability. You know, it has this incredible ability to regenerate and recover and change and improve on so many levels it's given the opportunity it will do miraculous things and we just need to support that process we need to understand and come back to the basics of what actually helps us to support the body to do exactly that you know which is do what it does best be miraculous so i think that's really important
0: there's some interesting things within this this test about avoiding wi-fi and knowing within the home, things like heavy metals that can affect infertility. I mean, is this all scientifically proven? Is this from your research?
1: 100%. There is so much scientific evidence now on all of these different factors, you know, radiation, mobile mobile phones in pockets, you know, for for men. I mean, even for women, but certainly for men, it's being proven scientifically to be really a problem. Uh, laptop computers, you know, on the lap, being published mm-hmm. in fertility, one of the major uh, reproductive medicine journals in uh, from America, actually from Azram, there, there are so many, the the data is completely out there. In fact, um, what I've been rehearsing for a little while is actually starting a podcast on exactly that, which, you know, are the, the evidence-based side of everything that we talk about, you know, because there is, I mean, we've just, we've, we're working right now and preparing, prepared 15 different infographics. They're long, style infographics that are all evidence-based you know there's one on toxicity and and exposure in in the work environment there's one on obesity and, and infertility caffeine and infertility alcohol gluten dairy you know like there's a whole lot of things because we talk about these things and people often ask the question of like you know where is the evidence so we're actually providing it in that form because it just makes it a whole lot easier um but the podcast is definitely on on the wings uh so that people can understand you know it's again it's that it's that education and inspiration you know that for me it's very much about helping people to understand what it is that's required of them to change their lives
0: it's really interesting. Really interesting. We haven't talked about your journey. So tell me a bit about your story, because I know, as we said at the start, that you've overcome infertility twice, giving you that understanding and that empathy for the people that you're you're working with. Do you mind talking about what you experienced? It, it was, you know, I, I,
1: it's almost, I was diagnosed with but actually, I'll tell this story from the beginning. It's quite funny. Um, I stopped having periods. I was working at the obstetrician gynecologist uh, office and I was on the pill for about six months because I thought, well, that could be a good way of using contraception. And I was around 18. So, you know, didn't really know any better. Now I would never go on the pill because I know how it impacts, you know, our health and everything else, so that wouldn't be the, the choice that I would make. But back then, that was the choice. Then I, I started studying naturopathy, and I started to realize, you know, the impact. And I thought, no, this is just, I don't want to put these things in my body. I just want to, um, to just, you know, chart my cycle and understand what my body's doing and use contraception as I need it, you know. And um, I stopped the pill, and my period never returned. Six months down the track, I'm asking one of the doctors in the clinic going, can I just ask you, I've done a pregnancy test. In fact, I've done many, but um, I actually am not pregnant and I haven't had a period for six months. What do you think could be wrong? You know, what do you think could be going on? And she kind of said something, but I didn't really feel comfortable going to see someone where I worked. So I basically just got a referral to go to this other doctor he was a kind of very old school doctor. I reckon that by the time that I saw him, he was probably about 70. He's probably not alive anymore. But um, anyway, I get in there and the first thing that he says to me is, and think about it, I was 18, right? So he basically says to me, so what brings you here? I was like, oh, you know, I haven't had a period. Oh, so you're pregnant. I'm like, no, I'm not pregnant. I did pregnancy test. Every woman's pregnant until proven otherwise. I'm like, you are an asshole. Um, <laughs> Like, really, I could not, Im- like, I, I was just like, I cannot believe that you said, I've done pregnancy tests, I'm not pregnant, can you please listen to what I'm saying, you know? So anyway, in the end, he basically said, look, go do this test, call me back for the results in a couple of days. So I thought, okay, called him back for the results. Yes, um, you have polycystic ovarian disease, you're probably never going to have children. If you need anything else, come back and see me at another, another time. Great, thanks, bye. That was like, literally the conversation right and i was very taken aback as you can imagine. Yeah. i didn't like him the first time i certainly did not like him the second time at the time because i'd never even thought about having children i kind of didn't really think about it too much to be honest and i just kept on with my life and just things just you know kept going So I was in a relationship and we thought that maybe we would want to have kids. I started working through my cycles and getting my cycles semi-regular, didn't really get too far. The relationship broke up and it never became an issue. Then I met my next partner and I said to him, look, um, it's possible I've got this. Polycystic ovarian disease, which I don't even call it that, but it's just what the doctor said. Actually, makes me laugh now. Um, But it's polycystic ovarian syndrome, of course. And um, he, I said to my partner, look, there's a possibility that we probably wouldn't be able to have kids. I'm just letting you know because you know it's good that you know. So six months into the relationship, I convinced him. Imagine the fertility specialist convinced him that it was a really good idea for him to have a semen analysis (laughs) because you know, we might just, we just want to know where we're at, you know, mm-hmm. we think, even though we didn't want to have kids at that point, And that was fine. So he went and had his semen analysis done and we found out that he had zero morphology. He had a re- decent enough count, but his uh, motility was a bit poor and his morphology was definitely terrible. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, less than 4% morphology it, it ensures that you're not going to get pregnant naturally or through IVF, you know, is kind of like the determination. So I said to him, I said, look, we can definitely improve that. So you're going to need to do these things. And we started kind of living our life in the same way that I tell my patients to live their life now. But we, we, I went through a very long period, you know, between actually having kids. It took us about eight years to decide that we wanted to have kids and to start really, you know, trying. But before, in the previous relationship and in the in the kind of new relationship, which is my my husband and you know who I've had my kids with, there was a period of about eight years that I would have either no cycles or maybe one or two cycles in a year, right? It was really that kind of just completely unlikely event, you know, or, I just really didn't know what was happening with my with my periods, and until I really started to get really serious about doing something about it, because then I realized that okay, if we're gonna want to have kids, two years before uh, we were decided to actually want to have kids, um, I started really seriously focusing on my cycles and making sure that everything was exactly how it needed to be, and then I obviously got my cycles back to being normal and you know very uh, kind of regular, and we then decided, look, let's let's try, and so with my first son. After I got everything regulated and normal and we decided let's try, um, I actually conceived first go, right? And so Amazing. that was...
0: How, how long had it taken you to get your cycles regular from when you started to really, you know, get serious about trying to sort them out?
1: It took me about six months, six okay. to eight months, to really, you know, get, get things moving properly. Mm-hmm. And that worked and it was fine. And then I had my son and he's, he's going to turn six uh, at the end of this month, actually, okay. in 20 days. He's very excited for his sixth birthday. Uh. (laughs) So he decided to show up in our lives and he's a blessing and it was wonderful. And then after about two years, no, actually after about a year of him being around, because I was conscious of, you know, PCOS, of my patients, of, you know, having had a baby and secondary infertility and, you know, all of those things, I... Started to kind of think, okay, what am I gonna do in terms of starting to, and I also I wanted to breastfeed for as long as possible. And I knew that because I already had PCOS and, and breastfeeding along with PCOS really wasn't a great strategy to get cycles back back to normal and, and certainly to regular. Um, I started to consider around 12 months when I might like to stop breastfeeding. Turned out that I stopped breastfeeding at about 17, 19 months. And about 17 months after that was when my my cycles actually became regular again. So in that period, I was like, I was so ready. After a year and a half, I was like ready to get pregnant again. I wanted to get pregnant again as quickly as possible, you know, just make sure that I had my, my second child and kind of completed my family. You know, that was my... Kind of almost anxiety about the whole situation. and it obviously didn't happen for a really long time. I think it took about between seventeen to nineteen months by the time that I actually was able to get a cycle and be regular. Um, and it took and then with my second son, I actually conceived second try right after my cycles went back to regular. But you know, it was that kind of anxiety about wanting to have a baby, knowing that my cycles still were nowhere to be found. And, you know, that, the, all of the, the, I guess, emotions that go through for a woman and a couple who are wanting to conceive or who are kind of ready to take the next step to have a baby. And, you know, it's kind of just not happening mm. in the time frame that we hope for. Um, but that's essentially what what went on there.
0: Gabriella what would you say to people listening because I know that I have people listening who are dedicated to this cause they are doing everything that they can possibly do from their diet they they've cut out the alcohol and the caffeine and they they've lost weight and they're they're taking supplements and they've done this test and they've done that test and they've possibly had failed cycles and they're but they you know they're still trying to conceive naturally having sex as much as they can at the right times all this kind of stuff and they really feel that they're trying everything because... I'm part of the amazing online community, the TTC community, and especially on on Instagram, people documents, you know, the stages of what they're going through, even if it's during their their treatment, you know, that they're they're starting their injections and they're they're having their egg collection, and 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 yet if they're still not having success, and I know it's hard to just pinpoint that because everybody's so different, but what would be the kind of the the key things that you would say? Not one thing, because I don't think it can be one thing.
1: No, oh, it can it can (laughs) okay great
0: there is one thing do the fertility challenge quite seriously
1: and the reason that i say that it's literally i go through diet lifestyle environment mental the mental aspect we actually spend two days in the fertility challenge actually going through the emotional component you know and really focusing on what it is that they can do to change all of that so Really, it's a, it's a brilliant process for people who even just to tick the boxes, mm. you know, of what what they're doing. But you see, one thing that is important for people to realize is that they can't do – I often talk about this analogy. When people are trying to conceive and they're having difficulty, it's almost like they have this brick wall in front of them, right, between where they are and where they want to be. And what happens is that couples go in, they approach the brick wall and they take out a brick – off the wall which is you know they improve their diet and then they might take another one which is they improve the the uh exercise and then they might take another one is that they will go and you know take some supplements let's say it's another brick they do that for a little while and they kind of keep going keep going they start to become disheartened and then they kind of just go you know i'm doing all these things nothing's working anyway whatever stop doing it and either by then that hole where the brick was taken out of either fills up with muck or kind of gets pushed back in because it's like, ah, oh, this is not working anyway. It just might as well push the thing back in. Whereas really what people need to kind of have in their minds, and I guess the the analogy is and the, and the visual that I want them to see, is like they have to come in ready with the bulldozer, right? And just like, okay. That's it. We're going to demolish this damn brick wall. No matter what, we're going to push all of this debris out of the way and we're going to create the path. And then we're going to go about building that path and then we're going to go about walking it, right, from where we are to where we want to be. And so there is no other way. There is no shortcut. I, I heard the most beautiful quote the other day in in an audiobook that I was listening to and it said something like this it was like I'll paraphrase it as best as I can but it said something like this um, between ourselves and our dreams there seldom is a red carpet that gets ruled out you know it's more like a swamp that you have to dredge through you know and I thought gosh that is such a great analogy because it's so true you know I mean has there been ever been anything in your life that you really truly wanted, but that was kind of out of reach? That you just got it by saying, "I want it."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, that would be lovely. Never happened, and it will never happen. Therefore, get rid of that illusion or that idea that it should be easy. That because your neighbor, you know, who's unhealthy and does drugs and whatever, gets pregnant, and you don't, like, forget it. Right, because their journey is very different to yours, and ultimately we've all heard of that person who, you know, has essentially never smoked a day in their life and die of lung cancer, and the other person who's a chain smoker and has never ever had a, 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 even a lung issue, let alone you know any lung problems or lung cancer. And, of course, they have other issues. And the same thing applies in fertility because what happens is it's to do with epidemiology, well, epidemiology for sure, but it's to do with epigenetics, right, which is essentially that whole aspect of the environment is going, like there's a beautiful saying in genetics that says, you know, the um, the genes, they load the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. Mm. And so we need to understand that it's our environmental factors that are around us that will trigger certain aspects within our genetics that will cause some people to conceive easily, despite being a heroin addict, right? And other people to do all of the right things and have the biggest of struggles. And so there is no point in comparing your journey. That is the one thing that I'll say, you know, there is no point comparing your journey. There is no point, you know, looking to the side and getting down about the fact that you know somebody else is pregnant and you're not it's like what do i need to do about it right and then get on there get on that bulldozer and just bring that freaking Wall down. Get that
0: wall down I love that analogy that is good because it is easier it, it, it's it, it's hard to hear and, and it is easier said than done when you are looking around especially with what we all do on social media now and there's all the announcements and like I just described before the TTC community which is so supportive but at the same time when people are sharing their journeys it's inevitable that there are going to be the sharing of good news that then you have to swallow again whilst you're trying to navigate your way through and it's so much to take on board but that wall and that bulldozer. that's a goodie. We'll, well, we'll hold that. We'll hold that clear in our heads.
1: Absolutely, because you know, look, the one thing I know for sure is that anything you approach with that kind of energy, you will succeed in. Right? It's just that's just a matter of life. And you know, a lot of people they, they kind of get disheartened, they get upset, and they, and look, it's normal and natural. And yes, you are going to get disheartened. I mean, everybody gets disheartened along the way. But it's about choosing to stay there or to get up and keep going. Right. That makes all of the difference. And and that really is what we have to keep an eye on.
0: Well, we'll put the details of the fertility challenge in the show notes, because we're speaking kind of mid-June in 2018 as this podcast going out. And you're starting another one on the 4th of July. So people have got time. So it's online. But do you kind of get people to all do it at the same time? Is that how it works?
1: Uh, It's a live event. So, you know, we actually we, we run it four times a year, typically. You know, the last one we took over eight thousand people. We already have five thousand registered. So between now and July we're probably going to have close to ten thousand registered and we all do it together. Yeah, it's super fun.
0: All right, well Gabriella, it's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you for sharing what you do and for doing what you do. And um good luck with the challenge.
1: Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: What did you make of that then? I think Gabriella is a very, very interesting lady. And the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash Rosa, R-O-S-A. So you can see links to her challenge. I'll also put the link there for the Ultimate Fertility Guide Facebook page so you can watch our live streams happening this coming week. And of course, our closed Facebook group called Talk Fertility, where you can come and join. We have some of our previous guests as admins. To help answer your questions you can share where you're at you can find other people who are hopefully uh, able to give you some tips if they've been through what you're going through or in a similar place and really it's just another part of our little gang to let you know you're not alone to remind you that you're not alone and help you along this journey i hope you found the podcast useful as always thank you so much for your support and until the next time